You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This episode, we'll be talking about Elvis Costello and the Attractions, Armed Forces. On the line, I have Rob, Ben, hello, and Kyle. Hi there. Armed Forces is the third studio album by British musician Elvis Costello uh, and the Attractions, released in the UK by Radar Records and in the US by Columbia on the 5th of January, 1979. The producer was Nick Lowe. And the genre is new wave and post-punk. And I'm going to read from All Music Review, Stephen Thomas Irwine. After releasing and touring the intense This Year's Model, Elvis Costello quickly returned to the studio with the attractions to record his third album, Armed Forces. In contrast to the stripped-down pop and rock of his first two albums, Armed Forces boasted a detailed and textured pop production, but it was hardly lavish. However... The more spacious arrangements, complete with ringing pianos, echoing reverb, layered guitars, and harmonies, accented Costello's melodies, making the record more accessible than his first two albums. Perversely, while the sound of Costello's music was becoming more open and welcoming, his songs became more insular and paranoid. Even though he cloaked his emotions well, many of the songs on Armed Forces use politics as a metaphor for personal relationships, particularly fascism, which explains its working title, emotional fascism. Occasionally the lyrics are forced, but the music never is. The album demonstrates the depth of Costello's compositional talents and how he can move from the hook laden pomps pop of accidents will happen to the paranoid goon squad with ease. Some of the songs like the light reggae of two little Hitler's and the impassioned party girl build on his strengths, while the others, like the layered Oliver's army, take Costello in new territories. It's a dense but accessible pop record and ranks as his third masterpiece in a row. All right, what do we think of Elvis Costello and the Attractions, Armed Forces? Ooh, that's a good record. That's good stuff. some very good stuff. This is yeah. some this, pop I like jams. This better. I like this better than the other two. Oh, really? Yeah. I like I this they... record, but I don't like it as much as I like uh, this year's model. I really uh, like the I... production on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great production. Nick Lowe did a great job. Yeah. I think, I think so, too. I think uh, I'm with you on uh, this year's model, Ben. I think that's slightly better in my uh, opinion, but Nick Lowe is, is on it. 
streak with this. I've got I've got two copies of that here. If you want to trade me one of your copies of uh, of this record for an extra copy of this year's model, I think I'm I have more two than copies of you. this year's model. <laughs> Why don't you get three? Why don't I make it a hat trick? I, do you guys hear a lot of? Uh, I don't know. I, I almost I almost felt like he was super into like Springsteen for a lot of this. Like it it just has yeah more of that. I heard a few that. references. I didn't hear Springsteen. Uh, right now we're listening to the intro to Oliver's Army, which is absolutely the piano of Dancing Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He's like, oh yeah, I wanted to do like Dancing Queen piano. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. yeah, before they did that, they considered this a, just a throwaway track. And then that came up and they were like, that's it. It's, it's, that, it's that hook, you know? It is. It's great. It's hard to hard to uh, resist. Oliver's Army is uh, an interesting, dense song mm-hmm. wrapped up in a catchy pop hook. That it, it was almost like uh, it was a double-edged sword for uh, for Mr. Costello. He definitely has important stuff that opinions that he is trying to communicate, and by wrapping it up in a sugar-coated pop song, he got it in front of more ears. But he, like, I read an interview with him where he was like, yeah, I was playing it for a lot of people, but I, d- I got the impression they weren't at all hearing what I was saying. They were just hearing the hook, you know, mm-hmm. which I guess is another, like a born in the USA type thing. Absolutely. And I think this record really is is that there are so many songs on this. If you weren't thinking yeah. about Goon Squad, uh, Two Hitler's. Yeah, Oliver's Army. I mean, it's there's all sorts of very dark material talking about making people into lampshades, about, yeah. you know... I mean, it's talking about the Holocaust and Nazis, and it's got pop hooks. It's it's a, it's a as if the ABBA uh, is, is, you know, <laughs> fronting a band for Joy Division lyrics or something. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, so you guys... Uh all have this record and have all listened to it. I, I assume for years, uh, I had never heard it before, uh, this past week. And, um, I was doing my thing. I was cleaning, bopping around to it. The first, the first listen, I was like, this is great. And then every once in a while, I was like, did he say final solution? Yeah. Like was, was that a hard N word? Like, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I went, I went back through it, you know, a few times and I, I, I get what he's trying to do and we'll, we'll get to the, the more political, but, um, yeah, great record. Uh, kind of a weird listen of the, the albums that we've been covering recently we, we, London calling armed forces. And then coming up in an album or two, we're going to be doing gang of force entertainment, all dealing with, uh, the troubles in Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. you know, like that, yeah, that, yeah. On the news in 1979 and punk and new wave artists, especially from the British Isles are yeah. talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that really stems from that 1977 riot and the growing faction of of uh, fascism in Britain at the time. I mean, I have a little bit background. Um, it says, as Costello was writing the record, Britain's music scene itself was experiencing a convolution of racism, far right politics through extreme groups like the National Front were on the fringe. They could create real disturbances. Um, including, you know, breaking up all these different, I, I mean, that that's why the clash would have to fight with people, um, at, at gigs and there, were, uh, a lot of other punk bands were 
having this real uh, disturbance of of what they were trying to do in August 1977. 500 uh, new was it National Front members gathered for a march in the Lusham uh, through Lusham an area in Southeast London with significant black community where they were met by thousands of counter protesters and the police, uh, obviously a riot ensued and yeah, 111 people were injured. Half of them police officers, more than 200 people were arrested. And that's, that was that initial riot where, um, you know, Joe Strummer got the idea for white, white riot, um, to, to, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, they had these different things like rock against racism, right? Like yeah, they, Elvis Costello was in, yeah. like, uh, uh, Joe and Mick were, were in, in the mix. Yes. Yeah. They were at the, at the riot. I think they were throwing yeah. things. Yeah. Throw, throwing rocks run from cops. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was, um, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting perspective to listen to this album too and have the background, have, our current state and um but also at the same time very easy to listen to this album just so easy yeah to just so gloss over the lyrics that hard end just sneaks right up on you in the middle of oliver's army which is an astonishing pop song like and then i was hey 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 now like i watched the i i read that there was a music video for it that they filmed when they were on tour in Hawaii and that was the watch. So I watched that and I was kind of like wondering, like, like there's different scenes in it, but like the, 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 the line where it's the hard hand, it just cuts right to Elvis Costello's face and he's like singing it into the camera. So, uh, I was like, okay, well he definitely doesn't want that one to, to, to be snuck out. Like it's definitely a, a very deliberate. Yeah. I was, so he, the the phrase I'm I'm not gonna say the word but it, it's white n word and I looked that up because I hadn't really heard that before I didn't really know the connotation but I guess in context of the song Oliver's Army he is referring to like a an Irish Catholic of of Northern Ireland as like that's that's what he's like one one more widow, one less Irish Catholic. Yeah, it, it, it's been, uh, that's one interpretation. The other interpretation is um, that it is uh, England's treatment. Uh, well, well, it's comparing that to Amer- of the Irish to America's discrimination towards African-Americans. Right. So, like so, it's, so that's why it's, it's yeah, yeah, that's why he's using that language. It's, yeah, you're right though. It's hard. It's a hard one um since it's such a poppy song and and easy to go. Um interesting choice to do that. Um I did have a a good article that said, you know, Oliver Army is a shining example of what he does ba- best, rap provocational uh ideas of perpetual relevance in the ornament of undeniable hooks. Uh he sort of condones imperialism uh, mocks it, uh, engage, you know, talking about these people who are power hungry, um, and then it sort of, uh, throw it in your face. It's the same, uh, in my opinion, before, you know, we get into other events, it did seem a bit like the Randy Newman element of, 
you know, yeah. using that word. It was that this time. Um, but I'm not going to excuse him for, I mean, I think it's a bit of lazy writing, um, because it, it doesn't get the point of, when you hear it, like it didn't get the point across. I had to go look it up and research it. Exactly. Yeah. He could have probably used a better way of condemning England's treatment of the Irish without referring to African-Americans in a slandering way. It's hard to rhyme with trigger, Birch. It is. <laughs> uh, it's not that hard. No, it's not that hard. <laughs> um, but he was what, 24 when he wrote this? 24. Not yet 24. Yeah. So. Wow. So, you know, that's, I feel like the climate, I don't know. It's, it's interesting kind of look at what was going on and i know we talked about susie you know wearing the swastika around this time on stage and uh you know david bowie around this time was saying a bunch of weird fascist stuff like i'm sure you guys covered eric clapton like uh yeah it's a very strange element um that happens and within these bands within this sort of punk movement his, yeah, I mean, it wasn't even just punk, like Roger Waters, the wall, you know, I mean, that was using fascism as sort of an allegory for, you know, uh, relationship issues and isolation, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is a lot of what he's trying to do here. Yeah. Um, I get he's, you know, punk is about being provocative, especially back then. Yeah, that's what I think that's what I was saying is, is his, probably his, his reasoning for doing that is it would perk your ears up, which it obviously did uh, yeah. when we're listening to it, even, you know, today, especially, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a strange one. Uh, the song Green Shirt. Yeah. Oh, I love that song. I think yeah. it's a cool song. That's my favorite song I on the record. To read, apparently he was just death warmed over, hung over, recording it, and Nick Lowe wanted him to really get into it with the lyrics, like like show like his lyrical power, but he sings it all like subdued because he's so hung over. In fact, he had uh, Nick Lowe take uh, the snare drum and the mini Moog out of his cans because he just couldn't. (laughs) 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 But uh, Okay. So they were on tour in the United States and in Madison, Wisconsin, there is a very remarkable architecture-looking building uh, called the Quisling Clinic. It it looks like like maybe 1930s or 1940s, like art, art modern. Like it's got like the the rounded corners and stuff. Uh, it's really cool looking. But the only Quisling that Elvis Costello was familiar with was uh, Vidkun Quisling, the uh, Finnish Nazi collaborator. And so he sees this like 
modern art deco-y looking building called the Quisling Clinic. And he was he was getting like boys from Brazil vibes. You know, uh, the two doctors that started up the Quisling Clinic were it was the same Quisling family. It was just a different a different branch of the family. But uh, it's the same Quislings. But uh, but it was not a boys from Brazil situation. It was a legitimate medical clinic. But uh, yeah, they're, they're driving past that. And, and he got just kind of like, like this paranoid story in his mind of like uh not Nazis hiding in in uh in society and having their, their clinics and stuff. And so that's uh like the, the paranoid lyrics of Green Shirt kind of came from that. And he, he makes a reference to the Quisling Clinic in uh in the song. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I thought par- paranoid is a very good word for this record. It's like fascist paranoid, you know, anti-love until you get to maybe the American alternate a track of what's so funny about peace, love and understanding. Um, but for the most part, I mean, this, this is all dark stuff. It's there's not, uh, it doesn't seem like there's romance. Um, there's, and he's done that in his previous albums, like, uh, this year's model and, in sort of talking about fashion and, and condemning, uh, different aspects of society. But this one is, 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 straight up a history book of of uh horrific things yeah i i really appreciated uh the what's so funny song uh as a coda i guess just on the american version yeah uh, i thought it was like a, a great way to end the record because i mean it I goes to some dark places american version because of its inclusion uh and that was nick did nick Lowe write that song he did yeah um, and I guess his original version was kind of ironic, but uh, uh, Costello said, uh, I'm not going to get into his quotes, but it was delivered with like a, a sincerity that I appreciated. Um, it's a great song. I I do prefer it against, uh, did they take the two Hitler song off? Uh, no, the American Sun- one? Sunday's Best. Okay. I believe is the one that's uh, missing on the American version. Yeah. Yeah, somebody's best. One, two, Hitler's near before you. Yeah. Oh my. It's, it's just it it does bring a certain uh shining a, a little bit of glimmer, a silver lining, if you yeah. will, for the record. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate it. He still plays that song. Um uh, every time I've seen him, he he's played What's So Funny About Peace Love Understanding. I mean, near the end, and I think it's he recognizes it. It, um, even though he didn't write it as a positive message. And maybe that's that's why it's good um, in a certain way is because he doesn't have the... <laughs> he doesn't have the optimistic view that maybe like Nick Lowe did, maybe even in a jest way, but it comes across because he can identify that that is something, maybe that's one of his... Uh, um, you know, subjects that he doesn't broach uh, as as much. Do you know if we're yeah. any Nick Lowe? We've we've gotten so much stuff that he has had a hand in, especially with like when we were covering more stiff records things. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not I, I'm not that familiar with his his catalog. I know that he is widely loved. Uh, yeah. If we do get some, I look forward to hearing it. Yeah. 
Man, the production on this. I mean, what are we listen to right now? Uh, busy bodies. Busy bodies. Jeez, just those, just the breakdowns on these different songs are just incredible. I mean, it everything stops on a dime. Um, yeah, you were you were right on with mentioning things like Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. This just sounds like a road tested, um, just fantastic band. The attractions are great. Yeah, I um I was listening to this record and after it finished, it, it started playing his first record and just the difference between the two, like just a couple albums apart, was just astonishing. Yeah, Were you with us when we did the first one, Kyle? Yeah. All right. Yeah, Steve uh, Naive. Ian Ian Dury named him that when Steve Naive like didn't know what a group he was or something. That's right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he he's uh, in the imposters and madness, but he's a you know prolific session musician, and uh, it was said that a lot of this record is is his doing. He added a lot to um, the compositions. Um, you know, Elvis Elvis obviously is a gifted songwriter, but I think that the reason this this album is um, so strong is because that collaboration. He's he started um, interjecting himself a little bit more into these uh, pop productions and it makes a lot, it's more accessible. It makes sense with these bolder compositions that he would be, uh, he would be within there. It's a little less, you know, straight ahead rock or uh, it has a bit more, uh, you know, layers to it. To to add uh abba piano to oliver's army then that yeah li- listen to this guy's influence because he's on to something mm-hmm. what other questions do i have for this um shoot i mean there's there's so many good uh lyrics on this too keeps you hanging on until you're well hung gets me every time <laughs> <laughs> you guys think this album is front-loaded at all or no I disagree. No. I think more I think of the so. uh, hits or the uh, the radio friendly hits are on the front, but I don't I don't think it's necessarily front loaded. I do think Sunday's Best is a good cut. If I had to choose one, yeah, I'd agree with that. With uh, with maybe a greatest hit. Yeah, as a as a newbie for this record and only having uh, heard the singles, I I really enjoyed Goon Squad. I thought that was kind of a standout for me. Um, but Rob, I also agree. Yeah, right next to that green shirt. Uh, Oliver's Army. Senior Surface. Great song. Mm-hmm. That was, two uh, he two said, minutes and 14 seconds. He was inspired by Bowie's Berlin era. And like the, That's fantastic. And like the textures that uh, that like Bowie and, and Eno were able to accomplish. And he was going for that with a senior service nice yeah i I found a life cut of him doing that around this time and looked like he was having the time of his life (laughs) he was doing some david byrne kind of dance moves it was great you bring up (laughs) an interesting point too these none of these stretch out i mean there's no allison that's uh, i want to say five six minutes there's no everything is pretty much three minutes and done this is a straight very straightforward pop record Pop rock record. The American issue of this uh, uh, album, uh, not only does it 
include uh, What's Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. It also includes a three-song, seven-inch EP of uh, him and the attractions playing uh, Watching the Detectives, Accidents Will Happen, and Allison live. Nice. I'll have to pick yeah. that up. I was going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, why... Uh, Usually I don't like to talk about gossip and, and get off topic in terms of uh, personal, you know, people's you personal lives and, and things gossip, like that. You liar. No, no, I don't. Actually, you guys usually are the ones who bring up Eric Clapton cocaine <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. But I did find it interesting <laughs> for this. One of his songs. What? So that's relevant subject matter. Yeah, no snow, no show. He wore that shirt. <laughs> I'm not gossiping. He advertised it. Get out of here. But I did find it interesting for uh, Elvis Costello. The reason I hadn't heard this story before, but he was not blackballed, but his he had a setback in America after um, he had some remarks in a, a Columbus, Ohio bar. In a, in a Holiday Inn in in Columbus, Ohio. Drunk with Stephen Stills is the, is that the story? Uh, yeah. At least his band. I don't even know if he was there. Yeah, I can I can tell you the story. Do you want me to tell it or Kyle? I want you to tell me a story. Okay. Oh, so, um, by March, Armed Forces had reached number ten on the Billboard 200. Uh, he was drinking at a Holiday Inn in Columbus, Ohio, with Stephen Stills' band. Uh, Castell be- began attacking American uh, musicians as insincere. Uh, he was he was basically attacking the Stephen Stills singer uh, singers <laughs> and Bonnie Bramlett took issue yep. with Costello because he was becoming a uh, belligerent and he was uh, he was basically thrown around the N word saying that, oh. you know, uh, James Brown, Ray Charles were were ignorant and he was sort of like just trying to piss them off it just you know drunkenly saying these things and <laughs> bonnie bramlett just decked him uh sorry is that bonnie and delaney bonnie yeah i think so i'll have to double check um but it said that bramlett who is white did the reasonable thing she decked costello knocking him off the bar stool uh, the instrument remains baffling. Costello's comments were both morally and musically indefensible, no matter how drunk he was. Uh, and it's weird because he's the same guy who a few months earlier was pl- uh, playing rock against racism shows. Obviously, he had talked about subject matter like that in his songs. Um, but it, it goes on to say, I mean, there's sort of like a weird history of the incident because, you know, he he didn't really apologize after it. The, pre- the press came after him and said, hey, what, you know, what did you mean by this? Why were you, why were you this way? He just said, it became, quote, it became necessary for me to outrage these people with the most offensive and obnoxious remarks I can muster to bring the argument to a swift conclusion to rid myself of their presence. So excuses were offered. Uh, apology was not. Um, that also, was that was the same shit that Michael Richards said. Yeah, uh, when asked about the controversy, Ray Charles said, "Drunken talk isn't meant to be printed in the paper." Because Ray Charles is a goddamn gentleman. He is, and he's like, "I don't give a shit." But then, yeah, 
uh, he was he was sort of boycotted in America, um, and it really like knocked him back in his career uh, because of the incident. Uh, but he later on he realized he thought that was a he he recognized that that was the right move. He was like, I had you know I obviously was completely wrong. He didn't really get a complete you know apology until someone uh, fall of twenty thirteen. <laughs> Uh, with an interview with the Roots drummer, uh, Guest Love, and he's quote saying, it's upsetting because I can't explain how I even got to think uh, you could be funny about something like that, Costello said. He says, I'm sorry, you know, it's about time I said it out loud. So eventually he got there with an actual apology. I'm it's all really about it. off Stephen Stills, but you, there, there's got to be a, a better way to piss off Stephen Stills. Yeah, it's super baffling. I, I had never heard about this incident until I was like researching this record. And like at the time he was like really worried that that was going to like define him. Like, which I'm, it's kind of astonishing that it didn't. That's such a weird thing. Like I, I, I eating after listening to this record, going through it. Um, I don't know if it goes back to that, you know, trying to be provocative thing. He called he called Ray Charles a blind, ignorant N word. Like that's just weird. Ray Charles is a pretty good musician. Like, um. <laughs> I mean, also Elvis Costello, you have no room to talk. I mean, you're you're taking everything. You've taken so many licks from Ray Charles. There's just yeah, <laughs> it's... you owe him so much. <laughs> Uh, I just, I just wish, I wish there was video of that, him getting punched in the mouth by the <laughs> a singer from the Stephen Stills band, and I guess like right afterwards too, like he had some kind of separate surgery where he had to wear like, like a cast over his arm, or not a cast, but like a sling over his arm, and everybody assumed that was from him getting knocked out. <laughs> like, like there's pictures of him in like American press, like with this sling after getting decked by a singer from Stephen Stills band for being racist and drunk. Like, I was I. I obviously want to, you know, talk about the music and stuff, but that's just, that was so weird. That was just, it's, it's an interesting aspect because I, had, I was always, um, I mean, we've all heard Elvis Costello. He gets played on the radio pretty frequently, but I had wondered why he, it, it did seem like there was a lapse in his career that he was not, um, what would you say? He wasn't well thought of. And I thought that was just me kind of projecting, you know, maybe, you know, he just didn't have hits or something like that. And I think this incident is is around that time. I think this really did set him back in a, in a way, obviously not totally because, you know, those the songs still get played. But I always you know. got the impression that regardless of that specific incident, uh, Elvis Costello had the ability to rub people the wrong way. Absolutely. 100%. And he got kicked off his mouth. You know, like, uh, it's just, especially, I would imagine, especially a drunk Elvis Costello. He's an asshole. He knows yeah. it. <laughs> Read his <laughs> lyrics. His lyrics are biting and cruel. I mean, he knows his cruelty is is real. I think it's a real thing of his personality.
Well, I mean, apparently it didn't that didn't affect the Robert Demery's thought of him. We still have two more of his records to go through in this book. So no, absolutely. I mean, very good musician. Um, you know, if you and this album is fantastic. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, you guys all had the the fascist record on vinyl before I ever heard it. So. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Why do you call it a fascist record? Because it... What, what was the working title? Emotional fascism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't... Uh, honestly, when I picked up this album, I wasn't familiar with it. I just saw an Elvis Costello. I saw Elvis Costello. I saw that it was one that he did with the attractions. I knew that I liked uh, this year's model. So I picked it up. I, I knew I knew Oliver's Army, you know, uh uh, it was just one of those things where, you know, price was right. Uh, I was happy as soon as I dropped a needle on it. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I was kind of uh, fortunate enough. Well, I didn't go straight through his his catalog, but I did buy his first record and then the second record and this record. So I kind of went through chronologically, which most of the time I I wouldn't do. Um, but yeah, I was pretty happy with, with doing it that way because it does show a progression. I feel like if someone started off with this record, they go back to his early record. Um, they'd probably still like it if they really liked Elvis Costello, but it's, it's quite a bit different. I mean, without the attractions, um, yeah, it's a, it's a different band. Yeah. Like I said, it was jarring when I would finish this record and it just went back to the first one. I was like, Whoa. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so good it just sounded like it was recorded like 40 years before it or something yeah it was recorded in closet so yeah <laughs> in like one day yeah closet is nick Lowe the producer on my aim is true um yeah i think he yeah on my aim is true it, it, yeah this was stiff yeah, i thought stiff often him. yeah you're right yeah so it was he recorded in a closet but it was recorded in a Nick Lowe's closet. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He is growing with the producer uh, at this time. So not only who Elvis. produced this year's model. What was that? Nick Lowe or yep, was that someone it was. else? That was Nick Lowe. Yeah, he does. Cool. He does all of them until I want to say it's like Taking Liberties. I'm looking at it right now. Nope, he did that He's one. He's been honing his craft. Yeah. Man, what's so funny about Peace, Love, and Understanding? Is a good song. We're hearing it right now. It's so goddamn good. Yeah. No, it's a wonderful one. Uh, What do we think of this one overall? We all positive? Overall. Like I said, this is my my favorite one. Okay. We're going to get a couple, I think two more. So see what you say then. Yep. He's only 24. 24, <laughs> son of a bitch. Hey, son of a bitch. And dumb shit. <laughs> at 24. I mean, I never said some of this dumb shit, but. Yeah. He's got a. <laughs> Dear Lord. Didn't say things at Holiday Inns, for sure. Um, <laughs> well, I couldn't afford a Holiday Inn when I was 24, <laughs> so I was saying dumb things other places. And I'm, I'm just trying to imagine, man, if I was. If I was drunk and influential at 24 and I wanted to piss off Steven Stills, man, I, 
I would say stuff I wouldn't mean if I was drunk and young and wanting to piss off Stephen Stills, but I would not say that. Yeah. Why don't you talk I about mean, maybe Stephen that's a Stills, danger man. of Maybe that's just a danger of, you know, wrapping yourself in this uh, um, cocoon of like, you know, fascist uh, ideology to make a metaphor about like toxic relationships. Maybe. Yeah. yeah I don't know. That is that is one. Maybe thing. maybe you sing these lyrics over and over in the studio and in concert, and you just get a, a little too comfortable singing. I don't know. He did say he what was else? very isolated. He, he's uh, he did say it's no excuse, but I was definitely isolated. Thought I knew everything. I, I don't know. It, it just it doesn't. It, a doesn't equal B though. It just doesn't add up. But he did say you know when when uh, at the time he was in a different headspace of this you know, talking, writing about concentration camps and all sorts of weird, bizarre fascists. And I don't know. That just doesn't make sense. Though. Yeah. You guys know that Van Morrison and Eric Clapton did an anti-lockdown song recently, right? Yeah, yeah I know, man. <laughs> I know. Then I just slipped it in there. Sorry, Birch. Go for it. That's, it that's all I've got. <laughs> Next time we'll be talking about Neil Young and crazy horse. Russ mm-hmm. never sleeps. All right. Thanks y'all. Mm-hmm. Never done.